Let's take our Bibles out and turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24. Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Tonight we're going to look at the subject of the ascension of Christ. And this is how Luke ends his gospel. Luke chapter 24 and verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for this, uh, these gospels that we have been studying. We just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would help us to appreciate a little more fully the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this now in his name. Amen. We're just about done with the Gospels. And tonight we're going to finish the Gospel of Luke. And we'd like to say a few words about the ascension, just as Luke does at the end of his Gospel. These are the final words of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples. But as kind of an introduction to the final chapter of Luke's gospel, let's turn to the gospel of John in chapter 7. And just as a little reminder, we're going to look at a few passages, not an exhaustive list, but several passages in a row where the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about that he was going back to the Father. And Luke ends his gospel with the ascension of Christ. He begins the sequel to his gospel in the book of Acts with the ascension of Christ. And I don't think we fully appreciate the significance of the ascension uh, to us as believers. We'll be looking at it next week as well, Lord willing. And especially the significance of the ascension to the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine being an infinitely holy God and leaving glory to come and spend the next 33 years on earth in a sinful environment, a cursed earth. And now it's at the end of the Lord Jesus' ministry. He was crucified. He rose again. He's dis he appeared several times to his disciples. And now the ascension to the Lord Jesus is he's going home. He's going to be with his father. After all these years in a sinful environment, observing sin, sinful men, sinful women, and the effects of sin in the lives of men. Now he's going home where sin doesn't exist. And let's just look at how often the Lord Jesus mentioned this. In John chapter 7 and verse 33. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while and I am with you, and then I go to him that sent me. And ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am... 
He's going to be with his father. Thither you cannot come. And then turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And in verse 12. Here Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. And why? Because I'm going to my Father. That was important to the Lord. And look in the same chapter in verse 28. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto my Father, for my Father is greater than I. The Father was in a far greater position than was the Lord Jesus in a mortal body in a sin-cursed earth. The Father was in heaven. And Jesus said, I'm going to be with my Father. And then in chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, chapter 16 and verse 10, the end in the middle of the verse, the Lord says, I go to my Father, and you'll see me no more. And then skip down to verse 16 in the same chapter. John 16, 16. And a little while, and ye shall not see me, and again in a little while, and ye shall see me, because I'm going to my Father. And then in verse 28 of the same chapter, I came forth from the Father, and I am come into the world. And again, I leave the world and go to the Father. And then in John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17 and in verse 13. And here Jesus is addressing his Father. He's praying his great high priestly prayer. And he says to his Father, and now I come to thee. And these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the Lord Jesus was about to be crucified. He knew that he was going to die and be and ascend into heaven. And so he's praying to the Father and he says, I'm coming. I'm coming home. And then in John chapter 20 in verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Now all this is just in the latter chapters of the Gospel of John. And we see the Lord Jesus saying to his disciples over and over again, I'm leaving this world and you're not coming with me now. I'm leaving and I'm going home to be with my father. And then, if we could turn over to Luke chapter 24. Now that the Lord Jesus died and was raised again from the dead and appeared unto his disciples, he gave them his great commission. He's sending them into the world. And then Luke's gospel ends with the ascension. And notice in verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. So just before the Lord Jesus ascended to be with his father, he led his disciples out to Bethany 
Now, the book of Acts says that he led them out to the Mount of Olives, and they're both right. Bethany is at the base of the Mount of Olives. So the author of Acts agrees with the author of the Gospel of Luke. It's the same man. And so the ascension took place on the side of the Mount of Olives. And that's a most significant location for the ascension. And just to remind us, let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 11. Ezekiel, chapter 11. And here we read in Ezekiel, chapter 11, in verse 23. Ezekiel writes, And the glory of the Lord, that Shekinah glory that dwelt in the temple... And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city, meaning Jerusalem, and stood upon the mount, which is on the east side of the city, and that mount is the Mount of Olives. And so when the glory, the Shekinah glory, left the temple because of the sin and idolatry there, when God's long-suffering had come to an end, the Shekinah glory left the holy place and went to the Mount of Olives. And then we read, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 23, when the Lord Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he came over the Mount of Olives, and on the side of the Mount of Olives, the Lord Jesus looked down upon the city, and he wept. And he wept over Jerusalem because he knew what lay ahead for this city. The judgment of God would fall upon them. And then we come to the Gospels, and we look at the end of the Gospel of Luke. And here we read that in the Gospels, when the Lord Jesus ascended, now the Lord Jesus is the glory of God, when the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, he ascended from the base of the Mount of Olives into heaven to be with his Father. And then turn back to the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Zechariah. Chapter 14. And let's read verses 1 through 4. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, that future day of judgment when God takes charge of the earth again. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be be cut off from the city. And then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet, the feet of the Lord God Jehovah, whom we know as the Lord Jesus Christ. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and the west, and there shall be a very great valley. So the Mount of Olives is the place where the glory of God departed from God's people. It's also the place where the Lord Jesus returned and wept and prayed for his people. And when the Lord Jesus was 
had finished his earthly ministry, Jesus returned back to the Mount of Olives, that same place, and that's where he ascended up into heaven. The glory was returning to be with his Father. And notice in Luke chapter 24 in verse 50, it says, And he led them out as far as to Bethany, on the side of the Mount of Olives, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. So these are the last words of the Lord Jesus to his disciples. Unfortunately, we don't have a record of what he said. But he blessed them, and that's the word eulogeo, which means we would get our English word eulogy from this. And it means to speak well of. It means to speak good words. And so the final words of the Lord Jesus to his disciples were good words. You know, during his earthly ministry, he had to rebuke them many times. O ye of little faith. They were fighting over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They slept when the Lord wanted them to be praying with him. On another occasion, they wanted to call fire down upon people for rejecting their ministry. And Jesus often said, he rebuked them for being so slow of understanding the scriptures and their ignorance of scriptures. He rebuked them for being afraid and for not trusting him in the middle of storms. And so there were many times when the Lord Jesus rebuked his disciples, but now that his ministry is over, he has words of praise for them, good words. He had recently, in John's gospel around this time, he had breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. They had the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus said that you would do even greater works than I did. He was sending them out unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Lord's ministry was confined to one tiny nation, Israel. There, they would have a greater ministry in a far greater geographical region unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And Jesus was praising them. He knew what these men were going to face in the days ahead. He knew the sacrifices that they would make in preaching the gospel. He knew the persecution that they would face. He knew the years of ministry and personal sacrifice that lay ahead for them. And he also knew of the countless souls that would be saved through their ministries and churches planted. And so in preparation for that, with full knowledge of what was coming, the Lord Jesus praised his disciples. He had nothing but good words for them. He eulogized them. You know, one day we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account to everything that we've done in our body, whether it be good or bad. The bad will all be burnt up. There's no condemnation. The Bema Seed is not for condemnation. The Bema Seed is for praise, for those things that make it, that last through the fire. And Paul says, and then every man, every believing man, woman, and child will have praise from God for the works that we did in his power and for his glory. He will praise us in that day. And so we should be committed to the rest of, for the rest of our lives, we should be committed to serving him 
and living in the power of the Holy Spirit and for his glory so that when we get to that place, when we get to the Bema seat, we will receive a eulogy. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And notice also in verse 50, it says, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And verse 51, and it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So the Lord meets with his disciples for the last time. He lifts up his hands and he starts blessing them and praising them. And as he was ascending into heaven, he was still blessing them and praising them. And that's the way they remembered the Lord Jesus. His very last words for these men were words of praise for their ministry. Perhaps words of thanksgiving for the many ways in the last three and a half years these men sacrificed in order to minister to Jesus. And notice that there was no pause between his words of praise and his ascension into heaven. He kept on blessing them as long as they could see him and hear him, and then he was out of their sight and out of their range of hearing. And so the Lord wanted his final words to his disciples to be positive and encouraging and uplifting. And so he kept on blessing them as long as he could while they could hear. He wanted to motivate them. He was just sending them out on the world's greatest mission to preach the gospel unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And he knew the persecution and the trouble that would, they would face. And so he wanted to motivate them with these good words. And he blessed them. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. He blessed them. You know, when I hear believers speak about God's blessing, it's usually something physical. Isn't that the case in our conversations so often? We often hear, the Lord bless me, meaning I got a raise at my job, or, or maybe my backache went away, or the Lord bless me with good health, or the Lord bless me, the, some money came in the mail just in time to pay a, a, a bill, and, or... So our automobile was broken and, and we were able to get it fixed. And oftentimes, that's the way we think of God's blessings. And certainly, those are God's blessings. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. But here we have the Lord's final blessing upon his disciples. And there's no indication at all here that his blessing, the blessings were physical. He wasn't giving them gifts. He was speaking to them. He was giving them good words, encouraging words. And these were the blessings that he gave them, his final blessing. You know, Solomon said, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. And so the Lord knew at this time exactly what words to speak at just the right time for these men. And the Lord Jesus, we don't know the content of what he spoke, but we do know the tenor of what he spoke. There were good words. He often spoke script, scripture to these men and reminded them of the many promised blessings in the Bible. 
He often spoke words of truth to them, truths that they would need when they faced trials and difficulties. He spoke words of grace to them and kindness to encourage them. He was full of grace and truth. The character of the words that he spoke were good. And that word good means pleasant, noble, profitable, fruitful, beneficial, virtuous. He eulogized them. And you know, there might be a good lesson in this for us. Don't wait until your loved ones are dead to eulogize them. To speak good words to them. To let them know what you think of them. And that's what the Lord Jesus was doing with his disciples. He spoke good words to them, comforting words. And what was the natural response in verse 52? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. Now, we don't often read of the disciples worshipping the Lord Jesus like this in the Gospels. And what we do read is at the very end of the Lord's ministry, after he died and rose again, and now he's visibly ascending into heaven, speaking these kind and gracious words to them, these men fell down and worshipped him. His deity was really, it was finally beginning to sink into these men. They believed it. They got glimpses of it. They saw examples of it in his life and ministry. And then they turned around and act as if, acted as if they didn't really understand that he was God. But here it's sinking in. And notice also in this passage the juxtaposition of God's words of blessing and their response of worship. They go together. God's blessing... And our response ought to be worship. That's what the disciples did, and that's what we should do. When we think of God's blessings in our lives, we should respond in thanksgiving and praise and worship. That's just the natural thing to do. And God's blessings are not just money and health and material things and success and sunshine. God's blessings are primarily the ones that really count are internal. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. God working in us. And those are the things that we can praise God for and worship him for. And when we really let it sink in that God has already blessed us all with all spiritual blessings that we're ever going to get, we already are in possession of them, then that means that there's always room, there's always a cause, there's always a time to worship God in our lives. Jesus was verbally blessing these men. He was comforting them with words, encouraging them with words, and perhaps reminding them of promises in the scriptures. And this was the blessing unto them, and they responded in exactly the right way. They worshipped him. Imagine being there. The Lord was, had his hand up, and he was praising these men and blessing them and encouraging them. 
And he's gradually, as he's speaking to them, he's ascending into heaven. And when they see this, they responded in gratitude and praise and worship. This is to be the normal Christian life. We don't have to see God to be aware of our blessings and to be grateful for them and to praise and worship him for them. And the point of this narrative is Luke wants us to get that final glimpse of the Lord Jesus as he went to be with his father, encouraging the disciples that he left behind. And here we have the narrative in the Gospel of Luke, but Luke also writes about this. If you turn over to Luke's second book, the book of Acts, in chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, and let's begin reading in verse 9. Here, Luke adds in the book of Acts a few details about the ascension that were not mentioned in the gospel. And Acts is really the sequel to the gospel of Luke. Verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, as they were watching, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. So here Luke adds a few more details to the account of the ascension. And first he adds here that the Lord ascended in a cloud. He ascended into heaven in a cloud. And this cloud seemed to be lifting him up out of their sight into the sky. And we should also note that when the Lord Jesus descends to the earth, he's coming in the clouds. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when he comes for the church, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So at the rapture, when the Lord Jesus returns, he comes in the clouds and we meet him there, just as he ascended up. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, in verse 7, where John writes about his second coming, John says, Behold, he cometh in the clouds. He cometh in the clouds, and every eye shall see him. So here in, Luke, in Acts chapter 1, Luke adds a few more details. He adds that the Lord was taken up into the clouds out of their sight, and then he also mentions in Acts 1 that two men stood by them in white apparel, and I take these two men to refer to angels. That's how they were angels had been described in the final week of the Lord Jesus. And even before that, in Acts chapter 10, uh, when a man stood before Peter, it says he stood in bright clothing, an indication that his clothing was not just a white piece of garment, but it was uh, dazzling white. It, it was an angel. 
And in fact, in Acts 10, these men in white, shiny white garments are called angels. And then in Mark chapter 16, the angels at the empty tomb, they were also clothed in a long white garment. And so that's the way these two men were described, and I take it to mean that these were not just ordinary men. Often, or sometimes, angels appeared in the form of a man and in white garments. And then the words of the angels to the disciples. I don't know how you read it, but I read this as, as a mild, as a gentle rebuke to these men. And the angel said, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? And it seemed to be saying something like, why are you staring at the clouds? The Lord Jesus is gone. He's commissioned you to, to preach unto the uttermost parts of the world. Now get busy. Don't waste any more time staring up into heaven. He's gone. And these angels also said that this same Jesus, this very same person, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Just as the Lord Jesus left, in the very same manner, he's going to return. And so this reveals to the disciples that Jesus was coming back. They had no idea when, no idea whatsoever. All they knew was Jesus appeared to them several times, and he disappeared several times, and he's done it again, and he came back several times. So now these angels let them, these disciples know that he, he disappeared out of your sight, and you're going to see him again. In what way did he leave? He said, the angel said he's going to return in the exact same way. Well, first of all, it was bodily. He left, he ascended into heaven in a glorified human body, in a resurrected body, and he's going to return again. The same person, the same God-man in a glorified human body. And he left in a cloud. And when he comes the second time, he returns in a cloud. And he was seen when he ascended into heaven. And at his second coming, he'll be seen again. Every eye shall see him. And it says in Matthew 24, when he returns in power and great glory, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And also another note, he ascended from the Mount of Olives and he will return to the Mount of Olives. And we saw that in Zechariah chapter 14. So the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ ascended into heaven visibly, bodily from the Mount of Olives and he's coming again. And then we read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, 
And when they were come in, they went into the upper room where abode Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren, his siblings. And so here we're told that when the disciples, after the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, they went right back to Jerusalem. And they went right back to that upper room. They knew where the disciples would be meeting. And there they met with many of the other disciples. And the women were there. The women who had proved themselves so much more faithful and discerning in the final days of the Lord's life on earth were there waiting and praying. They were told to wait for the promise of the Father, to wait and pray. And here we see the disciples doing just that. Now, turn back to Luke chapter 24 and verse 52. And it says, And they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So they just saw the risen Lord ascend into heaven. He blessed them. He gave them words, comforting, encouraging, good words. And now he sends them back to Jerusalem. And they went back with joy. They went back rejoicing. They had good reason to rejoice. They heard good words from the angels, too, that Jesus was coming again. And you know, in Acts chapter 1, they didn't know when. They had no idea of the timing. In fact, before the ascension, they said to the Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom? They had no idea that a church age of over 2,000 years would intervene. These men were still thinking, soon. And they were rejoicing over that. You know, after the Lord rose from the dead, he appeared to the the women. He then disappeared and was gone. He appeared to the men on the road to Emmaus, and then he was gone. He appeared in the room where they met a couple of times. He appeared, and then he disappeared, and then he came back again. And so the disciples are thinking at this point, well, this is just another disappearance. He he disappeared into the clouds, but he's coming again, maybe tomorrow. They had no concept of the time of his second coming, and they had no way of knowing And so they met together in the upper room, full of joy, full of expectation, full of a a soon return of the Lord Jesus, and there they waited. And it says in verse 53, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So these men, these believing men, thinking that Jesus was going to come back at any moment, The angel said he was coming again, just like he left. Didn't take him long to leave. It probably won't take him long to come back. And their joy and their worship and their praise was not diminished a bit. And they had no concept whatsoever. Remember, the church was not just hinted at. It wasn't, there was no revelation about the church whatsoever other than something's coming, and they didn't know what that something was. 
And so they were to remain in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Imagine the expectation, the anticipation. They didn't know what was coming next. They saw a resurrection. Unbelievable. He's alive. And they saw him ascend into heaven, into, uh, uh, disappear into the clouds. They were rejoicing. They were exciting. And they were waiting for power to come upon them from on high. And they were meeting in the Jewish temple. They were still Jews. In their minds, they had no idea that the church age was about to begin. And so the Gospel of Luke abruptly ends with the ascension. And no word of explanation. That's it. End of story. And he leaves the disciples in that upper room dangling between two ages, between law and grace. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at an interesting note at the end of Mark's gospel and the dispensational distinctions that we see at the ending of all four gospels and how God had prepared these men from their perspective unwittingly for the church of Jesus Christ. So one more lesson and we're done. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the wonders of it. We thank you for your plan and program for this age and for the age to come as well, Lord. We just thank you for all of Scripture. Help us to learn it, to love it, to read it, and to apply it to our lives. And God, we pray that you would give us that same uh, anticipation of the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live each day knowing, acknowledging that he could come even today. And we'll thank and praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.